seated. Encourage you to join me now in taking your copy of God's Word. And turn with me to our passage for this morning. We find in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Last Sunday we were in Genesis at the beginning of the Bible. And then we turn to the last book in the book of Revelation. Now we are a couple of Sundays into our series on the church. And we can probably think of this as, as Church 101. It's a time for us to look at the fundamentals of the church. So to come back to the basics, not because we're dumb, but because sometimes we just need to be, to be reminded of the basics. To come back to these fundamentals so we can better be the church for God's glory and joy. We often say that as good ARPs, we, we know the first shorter catechism question. What's the chief in the man? The chief in the man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that includes the church. It includes how we are the church. I think sometimes with that question and answer, we get focused on the glory parts. We forget the joy. We forget that we're called to find our joy in the Lord. Find our joy in the things of the Lord heard of, of, of somebody say this week that one of, the, one of the greatest tricks that the devil's ever pulled is making us think there's a distinction between happiness and holiness. That there is no happiness and holiness. Holiness is, 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 is dundrums, it's, it's, it's boring, it's no fun. To be holy, dour, sour, that there's no fun in it. That God created us for joy. A joy that surpasses the joy of this world. A joy we are to find as his church. A joy to find in doing what we are doing this morning. So we want to spend our time in church 101, not just so we can be reminded of all this for God's glory, but the joy that comes in all this as well. So hopefully that's giving you enough time to turn to the back of your Bible to Revelation chapter 7. And let me pray for us as we come together now before God's word. So we pray to you, our good God and Father. We pray that you would forgive us all of our faults and our offenses. That you would illuminate us by your Holy Spirit to have the true understanding of your holy word. Give us your grace, the grace that we so desperately need so we may handle this rightly. Who may do so uh, faithfully to the glory and joy of you. This is all for the good of the church and for our salvation. We ask these things now in the name of the one who is our eternal joy, the one and only blessed Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. This is John's vision of heaven. This is what he is seeing in heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were sitting around the throne, and around the elders, and the, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. In some ways, it's, it's, it's hard to believe, but here in a couple months, we're going to celebrate, I mean, we and our family are going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of being here with y'all as pastor. And it's interesting and to think that back 10 years ago at this time, I was interviewing with the committee and, and realizing it was getting pretty serious and going home and telling Beth, honey, I think we're moving back to South Carolina. And she said, where? I said, Winsboro. She said, where's Winsboro? So we'll figure that out. But in my 10 years here as pastor, coming up on 10 years, if you've been around me enough, you've heard me kind of share my philosophy on, on being a pastor in the South, especially in South Carolina, which is my, my home state, my native state, a place I, I, I dearly love. And it reminds me of the story of, of one of my favorite Southern Presbyterian pastors and theologians we talked about before, John Gerardo, uh, whose ministry for a number of years was uh, ministering to the slaves in Charleston before the war between the states. He was theologically brilliant, and he was known as being like the Charles Spurgeon of the South, just this tremendous preacher. And so his, his theological acumen and his ability, his ability to preach was, began to grow throughout the South. And so eventually, a rather large and prestigious Presbyterian church, Atlanta, Georgia, offered to call him as their pastor, where he would be making much more money. He would have this beautiful, uh, huge antebellum manse to live in. He would have the prestige of being the pastor of this large Presbyterian church in this large city. But Jericho turned it down. So they came back and offered to him again. He turned it down again. They came back again, and he kept on turning them down until one day, some representatives from the church went to him and said, why do you keep saying no to us? Don't you see what we're offering you? Money and prestige and this mess. How can you say no to us? He looked at him and he said, his answer was very simple. South Carolina is my mother. It was just that simple to him. He loved his home state. He was born here. He wanted to die here. He wanted to be buried here. He loved his state. I've always loved that story. I love that answer. And I love my home state. love being here as y'all's pastor. And something then I've learned over the years about doing ministry in the South in both South Carolina and Georgia is this. The South is one of the easiest places to do the ministry. And the South is one of the hardest places to do ministry. It's easy do ministry here in the South because Christianity is just a part of the fabric of the Southern life. Think of a, of a standard description of what it means to be Southern. And somewhere near the top of that description is going to be Christianity and church. College football, barbecue, bowl peanuts, and church. Right? You listen to any country artist and eventually they're going to sing something about being hell raisers on Saturday evenings but where are they going to be on Sunday mornings? Right here in church. It's a part of our Southern identity. For so long, to be Southern means Christian. To be Southern means you go to church. Many of us come from families who went to church. 
because their families went to church, because their families went to church, and so on and so forth throughout the generations. If you're Southern, this in some respect, and for many of us, this is a part of who we are. So when somebody new moves to Winsboro, and we go introduce ourselves to them, eventually what are we going to ask them? Where do you go to church? Because we're going to assume if you're moving to small town southern Winsboro, you're probably going to church. And if not, you need to be. That's a part of our identity. It's who we are. It's, it's a part of our southern culture. It, it's very much a part of our landscape as well. Right? Some of us in here have pretty good arms. And we can go out in the back and we can throw a rock and we can hit First Methodist Church. Throw a rock over this way and hit Zion Church. And if you have a really good arm like William Ladd does, then you could probably hit the Episcopal Church. And if you drive through town that way and go to the middle village, by my count, you come across four or five churches I know of. If you head the other direction out into the, into the country, you're going to come across First Baptist, and then you hit Presbyterian land, right? Lebanon, White Oak, Salem. So the church is literally a part of the landscape of our lives. We live near them. First Baptist is in my backyard. We drive by churches all the time. We have this constant physical reminder of the church. So that's why the Christian ministry can be so easy in the South. It's accepted as a part of who we are. To be Southern, in some ways, means church and Christianity. People won't look at you like you're a freak when you confess your faith and you talk about going to church. It's not like being up north with all those weird Northerners. Right, Hal and Pat? All right. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Good to have you here. So it's an easy place to do ministry, but it's also, I would say, one of the hardest places to do ministry, maybe even harder than being up in the godless north, because it is so much a part of the fabric of life. It has become so ingrained in our cultural identity, Christianity has become for some more of an identity than a faith. We're more ARP than we are Christian. We're more Baptists than we are Christian. We're, we're more Methodist than we are Christian. We're more whatever you want to add in there, denomination. We're more that than Christian because it's become more of an identity for us than a faith. It's what we do because we're Southern, not because we're Christian. We go to church because that's what a good Southern person and family does. But we all know, if you meet somebody around here and they say they don't go to church, we look at them a little sideways, right? There's something wrong with you. Every good Southern person and family goes to church. Probably goes to the family church where you've been sitting in the same pew for, for generations that's come before you. And we say we're Christian because we do those Christian things. We, we go to church occasionally, hopefully often, and we, we do Christian things. We, we keep our sins hidden behind the doors. We don't do them out in public. We're Christian because we do Christian things, not because we have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And because we've been in the church, we know all about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus in a personal saving way. We haven't received and rested in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he has been offered in the Gospels. We haven't been 
growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're not growing to be more like Jesus because Christianity has become more of a cultural identity than a faith. And that's why you find that some Southerners have a pretty stout wall built around their hearts. Because you're talking about a matter of identity. And so when you say to them something about, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you you have faith? They can get defensive. They say, who are you to judge me? Right? One of our favorite verses to use. Somebody comes after us and says something, whoa, 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 whoa. Judge not lest ye be judged. We all know that verse to King James, right? If we talk about for it's a total misuse of it. But who are you to judge me? Who are you to say that I don't know Jesus Christ? I'm a Christian. Born and raised in the church. I've gone to church most of my life. I, I, I try to do pretty good by getting my kids to, to Sunday school and, and VBS here and there and to get into youth group stuff. Who are you to tell me I'm not a Christian. It can be more of an identity than it can be of faith. It's more about being Southern than being a Christian. I think that's why my philosophy is this is one of the easiest places to do ministry. Everybody's fine about you talking about Jesus. It's one of the hardest places to do ministry because don't you dare talk to them about Jesus. It's a classic two sides of the same coin. And the church bears some similarity to this as well. There's two sides to the coin of the church as we learn in Church 101. That there are two churches. There's a visible church and there's the invisible church. Two sides of the same coin. The same church, but two different churches, the visible and the invisible. Or we can think of it this way. There's a church from God's view... That's the invisible. And there's the church from our view, which is the visible. Augustine famously said that the church on earth will always be a mixed body. Because there's always going to be uh, Christians and non-Christians in it. So it's necessary for us to distinguish between the visible church, the church we see, and the invisible church, the church that God sees. So the visible church is just what we said. It's a church we see. It consists of those who have made a profession of faith and here have been examined by by the session. They've been baptized and now they have been enrolled in the membership of the church. It's what we see this morning. We look around. This is the visible church. These are people who are sitting in in the pews Sunday after Sunday. This is the church that we see. Each year, our, our clerk of session has to prepare a report for a presbytery and senate where he records the statistics of the visible church. How many births, how many deaths, profession of faith, transfer of membership, all that leaving us with a total number of the membership of the visible church of Bethel ARP. And for many, that's what they think of when they think of the church. If somebody say, well, tell me about Bethel ARP. What we're probably going to say is, you know what a town clock is? It's, It's the church that sits behind that. It's a great landmark to tell people when they get here. Just go to a church behind the, the town clock. And you know so-and-so, and so-and-so, they go to that church. And, and so-and-so's mom and dad used to go to that church some long time ago as well. But the visible church is what some tend to think of when they think of the church. And that's understandable because it makes the church something 
tangible and visual makes it something understandable. You can touch the building. You can, you can sit in the pews. You can look at a person and have a conversation with them. That's the visible church. The problem becomes when we believe that the visible church is the only church there is. Meaning that there are some who believe that just by going to church and being a member of the church is what makes you a Christian. As long as I'm on that church roll, and I can point down there and say, that's where I was baptized, then that's what makes me a Christian. If you doubt my Christianity, then go get the church roll and look for my name on there. Matthew 13, Jesus tells, tells a parable about the church where he says this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain and weeds appeared also, the servants came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, well, the enemy has done this. So the servant said, do you want us to go and, and gather them? And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you brood up the wheat among them. Let both grow until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles so they can be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus is talking about the church. And what he says is that in the church there is going to be weeds along with the wheat. Meaning that in the visible church there are going to be unbelievers who are part of the visible church. That not everyone who is a member of the church is actually a Christian. Church member, yes. Christian, not necessarily. We call the church is holy it's holy because it belongs to God, but in this age, there is an unholy mixture within it. Not all those who honor Christ with their lips will honor him with their heart as well. That's why it is entirely possible for you to be born into a church, baptized, make a profession of faith, become a member, be, buried in the, be, be married in the church, raise your family in church, be buried in that church, and you still end up in hell. Because there's never been a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. As Corey Timboom once famously said, just because a mouse is in the cookie jar doesn't make it a cookie. Being a member of the visible church doesn't make someone a Christian. I think sadly, there are many who have convinced themselves that they are. Simply because they are in church. And they know all the right answers to all the questions. They can talk a good game about their faith. In John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character named Talkative. He loves to talk. There's nothing he loves to talk about more than the glorious truth of the gospel. He will talk about the need for someone's repentance and faith, the necessity of, of new birth, and the fact that our good works cannot save us. He knows how to refute the false gospel. He knows how to, to win arguments. And he has full assurance that he is heading straight for heaven. But as we read, he's mistaken. 
Because he's never placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He's never truly accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He knows about Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. And that's what makes him so frightening of a character is because he is absolutely convinced of his own salvation. He has talked himself into thinking he is a Christian. He has deceived himself to the very gates of hell. And this serves as a warning to us. There's a way of talking about trusting and obeying Jesus that can become a substitute for actually trusting and obeying Jesus. Being a member of the visible church doesn't guarantee salvation. It doesn't make you a Christian. Now, it is the duty and privilege of every Christian to be united, to be a member of the church of Christ. It is our responsibility to not neglect the gathering together the saints in worship, for us to be under the nurture and discipline of the church, for us to be actively involved as witnesses in the mission of the church. Every Christian should be a part of the visible church. But not everyone in the visible church is a Christian. So that's one side of the coin for the church. The other side of the coin is the invisible church. The church from God's perspective. New Testament word for church is ecclesia. Means those who are called out. So biblically speaking, the church is viewed as an assembly or gathering of the elect. Those whom God has called out of the world away from sin and into a state of grace. It's the church from God's perspective. It isn't bound by who is on the church role, but those who are truly Christian. It's those who have responded to the call of grace of the living God. Those who have received and rested on Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he's been offered in the gospel. Those who confess with their mouths and believe in their minds and hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. They're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're becoming more like Jesus instead of less like Jesus. Because Christ alone has captured their mind and heart. And that is who we see in our Revelation passage. As John is given a vision of heaven, he's given a vision of the true church of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful vision, isn't it? He can't number them. We can almost imagine John going, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, I give up. There's way, there's way too many of them. They're like the, the stars of the sky and the sands on the beach. And he tells us that it's, it's more than a bunch of white ARPs there. Every tribe, every tongue, every color is there because it is the true church of Jesus Christ. It's those who have placed their faith in Jesus alone. Those whose names have been written in God's book of life. This is God giving John his perspective of the invisible church. This glorious body of Christ. His bride who he is coming back for. This is the invisible church. Invisible because we can't see each other's hearts. But God can. And God does. He knows who is a true member of his church. This past week, I I was asked by someone about assurance of faith. And their question was very simple. How can I be sure that I am a Christian? How... 
How can I have the assurance that I am truly saved? It's a question of how do I know that I am a part of this invisible church? The first thing I told him was, this, I told him, I said, this is a great question. Because I think pretty much every Christian at some point along has asked that same question. Oh Lord, how can I be sure? Oh Lord, I don't want to mess this up. How can I be sure? And I explained to them, that's the first good sign. It's the fact that we would ask that question because it means we care. We care about the answer because we know the wonder of God's grace. He has made it known to us in such a way that we want to make sure that we are a part of it. So if you've ever asked that question, then that's a good sign. Because if you didn't know God's grace, then why would you care? But I told them what I will tell you now. What comes after that is difficult. Because we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest about with who we are, not what we wish we were. We have to do this difficult personal diagnosis. Such as, has there been discernible growth of faith in your life? We talked about some few weeks ago, you know, those markers of faith, thinking about those, those door jams and, and houses where it has the markers of, of children growing up and seeing you know, how quickly they've grown up over the years. Do you have those discernible markers of growth of faith in your life? Can you look back over the years? You don't have to be met last week, but back over the years and see, okay, I have grown in faith. Have you seen that you have died more and more into your sins and live more and more into Christ's righteousness. Not that you have gathered more sins and you're good at hiding them away, but that you've seen that you've been dying to these sins and you're living more for Christ. Do you find that the things of Jesus are becoming more and more attractive to you? That as you, you read the Bible and, and you know other mature Christians, you go, that's what I want. That your mind and heart's desire is Christ and His will. Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Notice it's not fruits, then we a choice, like I want to grow in love and joy, forget peace, that's not for me. Right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Are you, is there growth in the fruit of the Spirit and you're not growing in the works of the flesh? Are you obeying Him more? It can be hard, it can be a struggle. But you're finding that obeying him more and more is what you want to do. Is your life marked by a regular cycle of church, word, and prayer? That come Sunday, people know where you are, you're at church. And that daily, you're in God's word. Daily, you're in prayer. Are these the markers of your life? Talking to other pastors, we agree, we're, we're living in an interesting time. There's a lot of reasons or living an interesting time. But COVID uh, forced many of us to enter into the 21st century. And we all began to live stream our services. And it's been a wonderful ministry. But what every one of us has noticed is that our attendance in church has taken a drop. Can you guess why? Because we're live streaming. Because people now find it more comfortable 
to stay at home than to go to church. And let me make this clear. There's a big difference between watching church and going to church. There's a big difference between getting up and coming to church and being with other saints of the Lord to be gathered in this fellowship. There's a big difference between that and staying at home on your couch. It's interesting talking to, to folks in our church who, who are homebound. And they tell me that all the time. I wish I could be at church. It's just not the same sitting at home watching it. I wish I could be there. See, these are all markers for the answer of the invisible invisible church of true faith. Do you want assurance of faith? Then this is the diagnosis we have to come through. Because the end result is this. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? So the question we have to end with this morning is is, is very simple. What church are you a part of? You you can say Bethel ARP. You're correct. But are you just a part of visible church? That you're more southern than Christian? That the, the Christian faith is more identity than actually faith? That you're more weed than wheat? And Jesus tells us what happens to those who are weak. They'll be gathered up and they'll be cast into hell. It's Jesus politely saying to us, this is no joking matter. This is about eternity. Because in God's economy, we are meant to be a part of both. We're supposed to be on both sides of the coin. We want to be in the visible and the invisible church. We want to have that true faith in Jesus, and that's why we are a member of his church. We go to church, we are part of his church, because we are saved. And you're the only one who can answer this question. You're the only one who can go into private and think through, have I really and truly placed my faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? That old evangelism explosion question. If you were to die today or die tonight, because everybody, whenever you pose these questions, you always die at night. So good, congratulations, nobody ever dies during the day. But if you, were, if you were to die tonight and go to heaven, and you were to be asked why you should be allowed to heaven, what would your answer be? The wrong answer is, because I was a lifelong member of Bethel ARP Church. I was baptized as this cute little baby. We went to church most Sundays. Life got busy. And we go to church. The answer is, are you a part of invisible church? Have you received Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he has been offered in gospel? And do you rest upon that? And understand your answer to that question will determine not only which church you are part of, but what church you will be part of for eternity. Just a visible church, the weed who's gathered together and cast into the hellfire. I remember the visible church and the invisible church where you will be ushered into heaven and you would join that numberless crowd before the throne worshiping the God who so loved you and he gave his only begotten son for you so you can know eternity of joy 
with him. May you answer that question correctly. Pray with me.